I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Another episode of Straight Talk with Dana Mark. It's 65 degrees up here in the great state of New Jersey. But as always, from NJ to NC, I'm in the studio with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Well, the weather has been pretty nice here as well. There was a little bit of a drizzle earlier today. But other than that, the weather was very lovely, and I was definitely enjoying the uh, fine weather that we were having and uh, definitely enjoying all of that great weather. So I was uh, even got a chance to get out for a walk and everything earlier. So that's what uh, right. some of the things that were going on here were. And uh, then, you know, I just found out that Hamilton, you know, hopefully this thing will be over, this whole coronavirus thing will be over in the very near future, and if that's the case, Hamilton will be making a return trip back to this area in December of this year. So we got a long way. It did really well the last time it was here, but uh, we're hoping that it's going to make a return trip back to this area in December to the DPAC. I was just looking at some of the news, and that's one of the announcements that they had was that uh, Hamilton, which definitely did quite well when it came here last time, will be making a return trip in December. And, you know, with all the things going on in our world with politics and things of that nature, even though it was set back in the days of Hamilton and Burr, I think that some of the things that they were dealing with even back then are things that we deal with now with some of our politicians. So a lot of folks think that that is a very apropos, even to this day and time, kind of right. uh, play and everything. So I imagine that uh, folks, if they get a chance to see it in December, will definitely find it very enjoyable. And then, you know, as everybody else is doing these days and times, we're definitely on stay-at-home orders, so have not had to do that much uh, work. Did have a couple of work where I had to go to the Haytas. We had some people doing some repair work, so somebody from the office had to be in the house. And since I'm the one that's probably the closest, that was me. And uh, went over there and uh, opened the doors for them and just kind of like stayed out of their way while they did their construction work and things of that nature. But uh, did get a chance to... Uh, get out in that sense and also went out for a couple of walks and like a lot of folks you know you're trying to keep up with family and things of that nature so did a zoom call last week with my uh, brother my uh, pops and my uh, two nephews and uh, significant people in their lives as well as a matter of fact I think I did the count and we had like 17 people on that zoom call from eight different locations so everybody was oh, wow. in there seeing that everybody was in good shape and that everybody was uh, definitely uh, you know trying to stay as safe and as healthy as possible so we did that uh with last week and everything so that's some of the things that have been going on here like i said i did go there's a lake not that far from the apartment it's on the uh, deuce campus and went around walked around that saw the uh couple of the uh I guess those were geese and everything that were around there and some of the other birds i think i even stumbled across a blue jay and everything so got a chance to you know get at least a little bit of exercise you don't want to just stay in the house and not get some fresh air even though you know we're trying to stay safe and sound and things of that nature but you definitely and people recommend this you know they want you to get out there and uh, be healthy as possible I know some people are even looking at doing exercise programs and some of them are finding things that they have found 
online and I need to get better with the exercise regimen of my own because that's not something I've been really good at over the last several years. So I need to get back on the exercise regimen. Had a call with one of my Carolina theater people earlier today, and they had actually bought a uh, bicycle. I think they said they got it from Walmart, and they had put it together themselves. Uh, You know, they were wanting to get a little bit more tightened up and things of that nature. So they were not feeling all that confident about taking the bicycle out for a road uh, test yet feeling that they want to make sure that that bicycle is not going to fall apart on them and everything. And I can understand that because I don't have the best uh, mechanical hands either. So I can understand that. But they were suggesting (laughs) that that's something that I might want to look into is get the bicycle and everything. So that's something that I'll check into as well. But definitely trying to keep some exercise going. And, of course, like everybody, when you got these kind of orders in to be in the house, you find yourself watching a whole lot of movies and TVs, some that I've seen yes, and I'm sitting there going like, okay, that was all right. I just finished watching a uh, Jackie Chan movie where he's, you know, rescuing like the um, some magical, mystical thing in order to get back to his time in the modern days. And I don't even remember what the name of that movie was. And then I also saw quite a bit of the um, miniseries dealing with Madam C.J. Walker. Uh, I know some people have found that to have some uh, flaws in it and things of that nature. You know, we had a Layla Bundles, the uh, relative, and definitely one of the people involved with that production on our podcast sometime back. We might have to get her back to see what she thought of the production and whether she thought it was a good uh, rendition. I mean, there are some things that uh, I'm not sure how accurate they were. Definitely some things about um, uh, a hinted at, at least that was the impression I got that there was a hinted at lesbian relationship. Uh, I don't know how much factual that was and there was definitely a rival that was in the uh, movie and if you read up on that particular rival it seems like some of the things that they did with the rival might have been um, some Hollywood action in terms of the nature of the rival there is no doubt that Madam C.J. Walker did have a rival uh, but they changed their name and even some of the storyline may have been uh, different as well but a lot of the things were uh, very much point on. You talked about uh, Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, and there were some other historical references as well, even a reference to uh, Mr. Rockefeller and some other famous folks that she was associated with during her uh, time and everything. So had a chance to check that out. I definitely uh, would recommend that other people see it as well. Like I said, you know, these kind of historical things, they may take a little liberties, but you do get to learn at least a little bit about the person and even if they take liberties it might encourage you to go out and read a book about this particular person so you can find out what's true and what's not true and the only way you can do that is to go out and do your own research and things of that nature so i saw that and then i saw um a movie that had eva in the title um i think it was called something about eva that was put out sometime way back and everything so like i said i've watched some old movies i've watched some more current movies also saw uh Reasonable Doubt, which was a good movie. So there have been some movies that I have caught, and definitely some, uh, most of them have been reruns. I've been watching a lot of Bounce TV and things of that nature, but definitely I do have Netflix, so I did see the uh, Madam C.J. Walker one, and I've got a couple of other ones that are on my list that I want to check out in the near future and everything. So that's some of the things that I'll be doing. Uh, I know that they got you going into the office on occasional days and everything, but other than going into the office, what else have you been up to? Laying back, watching a lot of Netflix. I saw the um, the, the the thing on Madam C.J. Walker. I liked it. My thing is, you know, we find fault in everything. 
We get mad because they don't do stories about our people. Then they do stories about our people. And everybody's like, well, why didn't they talk more about this person? Well, if it's a story about you, I am a secondary character. If I play a part in your story, then yes. And to be honest, nobody was there to dispute or affirm it. Listen, just look at it. Research the rest of it on your own so you have that knowledge for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because it's still a lot of people that believe that Madam C.J. Walker and Maggie Walker are the same person. So before you get in your feelings about this wasn't right and that wasn't right, how about take something better from the story than, oh, it's not right. You know, so at some point, maybe doing this time of self-reflection and, and, and self-quarantine and all of that good stuff, maybe you'll get some self-common sense in the middle of it, you know, and, and not be so um, anti-everything. You know, they said it's about to, um, the, the peak of the coronavirus pandemic. It's probably about 10 days away. So they're looking for... Uh, about 3,000 people to perish in one day, according to scientific uh, data. However, I believe in, in the creator of all things to include such science. And I believe that, you know, while some have gone on, this will soon pass. And like Dr. Anthony Fossey said, you know, it's likely that the virus will become seasonal. So, they're trying to figure out what all of this stuff is, what it means, what it's going to do. But at the same time, we have to, you know, take care of ourselves and start to do the things that we should have been doing all along. And I think that's this this time of, of it's almost like the earth needs to breathe. So this came about keep the majority of the folks from killing it more so that they can kind of replenish itself. And unfortunately, in that replenishment, some of us will no longer be here. But it goes back to, and in many religions it says, you don't know the day, the time, the hour, nor way that you're going to lead this earth. So if you are a believer in your respective faith, nothing should make you turn away from that religion. It should make you gravitate more to it, I guess. You know, just my thoughts. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, actually, North Carolina got some good news in that regard. Uh, you know, there are scientists that are always looking up things and trying to figure out what's going to happen. And there are scientists from all over the country that are doing the research. Uh, we have uh, just surpassed 3,000, and that doubled in six days. But apparently some of the predictors are saying that Folks are doing what they're supposed to be doing here in the Carolinas. They are actually um, staying at home. They're actually doing things of that nature. So that being said, they are saying that social distancing, uh, at least here in the Carolinas, particularly North Carolina, that that may be working. It says that the coronavirus outbreak in North Carolina will likely peak early next week with far fewer deaths than originally feared, according to researchers at the University of Washington. Researcher as a, researchers at the School's Institute for Health Metrics and evaluations now think that about 500 people will die from the COVID-19 in North Carolina, down from the more than 2,400 they predicted just a week and a half ago. 
As of uh, Monday morning, 33 people had died of COVID-19 in the state, according to the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. So uh, definitely looks like folks are definitely following orders the way that they're supposed to be doing, at least here in North Carolina. So we're glad to see that folks are doing that, and we want them to continue doing that. So they, as long as their folks are following these rules, I did have a conversation with a um, fellow board member, and they were saying that they might not be going to any more uh, takeout restaurants because a couple of the restaurants that they went to, the people were not wearing masks, and they were not doing some of the other things. So they were basically saying that they think that they can do better in terms of a health standpoint eating and preparing their own food and things of that nature. I mean, definitely people are still going out and eating at some of the fast food restaurants, still calling on some of the order places like um, Grubhub and DoorDash and things of that nature. They are also saying that uh, the researchers that I was referring to earlier, that they at one time were thinking that the state would have a shortage of the type of beds that they're going to need, and it looks like that that shortage is also now being downplayed. So it does look like there will be enough hospital beds for the amount of victims that will be um, predicted to be here in the next week or two. So like I said, I am glad to see that people are, for the most part, seeming to follow orders and things of that nature. I'm hoping that they're doing that around the country because uh, that's what they say will uh, flatten the curve as the uh, term likes to go. So uh, definitely we're hoping that folks will continue to heed the advice that they are being given and doing the things that they're supposed to be doing in these days and times. And I'm also glad to say that a lot of organizations, I just saw that the Durham Arts Council is putting together a fund to help some of our artists that are uh, definitely running across troubled times financially because of what's going on. So they have announced a fund that people can apply for. They go to the Durham Arts Council website that they will see that there's a fund both for arts organizations as well as individual artists. So that is just one thing that is going on. I believe that North Star Church of the Arts also has a fund and some of our other um, cities and counties have funds as well. So definitely glad to see that people are doing what they are supposed to be doing in that regard. I see we've got somebody at the doorbell, and that's great. I'm hoping we're going to have at least one or two calls during the course of the evening. As we are remembering people, and I know one of them did die from uh, – COVID-19, that was revealed. The other one I'm not as sure about. And then there's a third one that I believe was even further back in everything. But as we're thinking about, like we did last week, people that deserve our honoring and our salute, I definitely want to give out a shout-out to Ellis Marcellus, who is a great jazz artist, um, definitely the father of Brantford, Winton, um, Jason, and um, I always forget the fourth one. It's a more uh, not as easy a name to remember. I think it's Del or something like that. But the four Marcellus uh, kids and everything that definitely have careers and out there doing great work in the jazz world. Ellis was their father. A lot of people consider him in a lot of ways to be the father of kind of that newer New Orleans sound and things of that nature. So he has uh, passed on and uh, definitely um, from what I understand, his was, um, from what I understand, definitely uh, – COVID-19 related, but he was definitely a jazz legend and definitely a jazz great. And uh, definitely uh, people in New Orleans, people throughout the country, people out through the world definitely recognize Ellis's great talent. And uh, he did pass away. I mean, he did live a very good life. I think he made it into his early 80s and things of that nature. And the same for the great and legendary, and I did uh, load up some of his music, this next uh, artist that I'm going to mention everything 
but Bill Withers also passed on. And I know probably even you remember some great Bill Withers songs that you liked and everything, Dean, because we all had our Bill Withers songs that we liked back in the 70s and things of that nature. I was a big fan, and that's one of them that I loaded up of Grandma's Hands. But I know a lot of folks also like Lean On Me and Ain't No Sunshine and some other great Bill Withers tunes. And then the uh, third person that I was going to mention, I meant to mention him, I believe, last week, because he's actually been gone now for a while, is the legendary Harlem Globetrotter, Curly Neal, who is actually out of the Greensboro area. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks knew him from his exploits for many years with the Harlem Globetrotters. So we definitely must give salute to all three of these folks who have passed on into the ancestral grounds, but their memories will definitely be remembered for a very long time. Also, Curly Neal was an HBCU legend, Johnson C. Smith State uh, University. So, you know, we never know. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, they're following the directions, but those were the directions given to us by the elders and the ancestors a long time ago. For some reason, we forgot them. So now we're being made to remember them. And maybe, you know, I remember my grandfather said, you know, let people walk up on you. Make sure you don't shake their hands because the hands dirty and all of these different things that we, in the age of inclusion, try to pass to the wayside. But now we have to remember them again. So you know what? We're going to jump into this PSA real quick, and then we're going to bring our guest in and straight talk to Dana Mark, y'all. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. And we're back with Scott Sawyer, and we have him here and straight talk with Dana Mark. Mr. Sawyer, welcome. You're on the line. How are you Good doing, to be here. Scott? Thanks glad for having to, me. Glad to, ha- glad to have you, Scott. Scott is a longtime musician that has been playing music around this area for a number of years and is definitely one of our treasures here in the Durham community. That's the way I like to consider him. I mean, he has performed with some of the amazing artists here in this area. He's had the privilege of performing with Lois Dawson and Nina Freelon, and the list goes on and on. He's also had his work done uh, on definitely uh, some movies, some, I believe, TV shows and things of that nature. So Scott has definitely been doing a number of things in the music world. He's got a new CD that is out, um, and it'll definitely be getting a lot of releases, and hopefully it'll be getting some playing dates. But, of course, like everybody else, he is waiting for this uh, pandemic to end because it's definitely impacting our performing artists in a big way because, unfortunately, the venues are shut down, uh, the uh, bigger venues like the theaters and, of course, the nightclubs and even the colleges and places that uh, Scott would usually probably be playing right about this time and everything. So, uh, Scott, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your life. I know that you're probably doing what you're supposed to be doing and probably doing some 
woodshedding and, of course, promoting the CD and everything and hoping that this thing ends sooner versus later, that even though we're hearing various predictions and everything, so that you can get back out on the road and do what you do so well, which is playing some great and amazing music. I mean, every time I've seen you, whether it's been at one of the local festivals, uh, playing either with yourself or playing with some of the other artists that you perform with, I am always amazed at how talented you are, and I consider you to be both a great friend but also a great talent here in this area. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for all the all the kind words. <laughs> Write that down so I don't forget it. <laughs> I'll tell you what I've been doing, man. I've been um, I've been kind of forced to rethink uh, how I'm how I'm going to move forward for a while, uh, making a living, because um, my uh, I work part time at East Carolina University. I've been I've been teaching one day a week there for for uh, 10 years and fortunately I still have that job because uh, I'm teaching online uh, but in the middle of May that job ends until until the end of August so uh, the bulk of my income has come from um, from uh, teaching at the Durham Jazz Workshop uh, and then other income has come from private students and and performances so the Durham Jazz Workshop, uh, like we had to shut down on March 13th. And right now, the earliest that we could open is the beginning of June, but it's not a given that we're going to be able to do that because obviously we're being very careful. Um, oh, yeah. So, so what I've been doing is uh, figuring out how to transition to teaching online um, because I basically had to figure it out to accommodate my jazz improv class at ECU and my jazz performance majors, uh, you know, applied instrument majors. And the good news is um, online, well, the good news is that the technology seems to have advanced quite a bit since I last uh, attempted teaching online about six years ago. Uh, I was using Skype uh, at the time, and it just didn't work very well for me. Now, I've to be fair, I'm sure Skype has uh, improved since then, and I'm sure the, that the Internet is faster. But somebody suggested to me a while back to try Zoom, and um, a lot of people are using Zoom, and I found it to be, to be pretty good. So I've been teaching online for a couple of weeks, and I'm comfortable with it now. The only downside is when you're – well, when I'm teaching jazz guitar or jazz improvisation – a lot of what I like to do with my students is is to play with them in real time, you know, to perform with them in real time. And that's not really possible. So I've been figuring out other ways to be effective. And I'll put it this way, even when things return back to normal, I'm still going to uh, try to build an online teaching presence because uh, it's actually it's actually been a lot of fun. So something positive has come out of this for me as far as the well, work goes. Well, that's really yeah, good go to know, and I've, and I've heard people saying that, that there have been positive things that have come out of this in one form or fashion or another, including people that have been doing um, online concerts and things of that nature in order to break the monotony of, as me and Dean were talking about watching Netflix and doing some other things. I know that Shauna Tucker did an online concert with her um, piano player. I believe that was last week, and, of course, the North Star folks did one not that long ago. I think it might have been a week and a half ago. Have you done any online concerts uh that you put online to um, that people can watch during this time of some of your newer works or even some of your older works so that people can catch it that way. 
And also, if you would, give a little bit more details as to how you've been making the Zoom calls work. Because I know when I was talking to my friend, Brett Chambers, who's a professor over at Central, he was saying that he was having some uh, adjustment periods as well because some of his students, I think he said he had two that were in Texas, a couple, one that was actually, I believe, uh, overseas, and I don't remember where. And the same with Trevi when we had her on last week, because actually one of her students, I believe, was actually in China. So they've been, you know, having the students that are all over, definitely all over the country, and in some cases all over the world. So how have you been uh, managing this with the Zoom calls? If you want to just tell a little bit about how it's worked in your uh, situation and how you've been making it work and where these students might be from. Are they mostly all here in Durham, or have they been scattered around? No, they're scattered around. Um, some of them uh, have gone home. Some of the ECU students have gone home. So I guess home would be Virginia. Uh, I think maybe one of them is in Pennsylvania. Um, some of them, I think, are still in Greenville, um, the ones that had apartments. Uh, one of them is up in um, in New Hampshire. And I teach a jazz improv class at 2 o'clock on on Tuesdays for ECU and there's six people in the class and I, for two weeks in a row, all six have managed to make it online. And, um, there haven't been, uh, any, any, uh, freezing screens, you know, frozen screens or frozen audio. I think a lot of it depends on your, on your internet connection. If you've got a pretty good Wi-Fi signal, uh, and a decent, um, you know, laptop, uh, I think it, I think it works really quite well um i don't know i don't think it works quite as well if you're using your phone but i've i've been kind of surprised actually very surprised and that's why i'm kind of optimistic that that moving forward i can continue to utilize the uh technology oh yeah well as best i can tell you've always been one that has been one to utilize modern technology and all the music that you've been doing and both even before this current crisis that we're in and just in terms of your music in general. What if you had to say to somebody what one of your personal favorite albums was, what would it be and who are some of the favorite people that you've worked with have been? Is there anybody that you really uh, were just honored to have worked with that are among that list of so many people that you've worked with that have definitely uh, a long, uh, you know, long repertoire of music that you have? I mean, I'm honored. I'm not trying to evade the question, but quite frankly, any anybody that uh, asks me to be involved in their music, uh, I'm I'm honored to be to be a part of it, um, because I can tell you that as somebody who hires musicians to work to work with me, you know, I whenever I'm uh, thinking about who to hire for a performance or who to hire for a recording session. I uh, I remind myself that it's best to work with people who who really like the way you play and who who really want you to be involved, you know, not because of who you know or what you've done. Um, clearly, um, you know, Nina Freelon, I have very fond, you know, feelings for Nina because uh, she and I kind of got started in a way uh, in terms of reaching out to, to wider audiences. It kind of began to happen for both of us at the same time. And, and for me, quite frankly, it happened, you know, through my association with her, uh, her star has risen pretty high in the sky. Um, but I've worked with other people who aren't as well known, you know, Lois is one of them. Um, the guy that plays saxophone on, on my new record, Dave Finucane is a brilliant brilliant musician. Uh, Kobe Watkins is the drummer. 
Ron Brendel, who lives in Charlotte. I mean, these are some of the best musicians that I've ever played with, including all the famous iconic musicians that I've been in contact with who I'm not going to, you know, like spend time right now dropping names. But um, so as as far as my favorite album goes, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, right now my favorite record is my new record, Night Visions, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's fresh. Uh, but I, I really, I think I, I, I think I've learned to like them all. Sometimes I don't, like them so much right after I've recorded them. And that was certainly the case with Night Visions. I, you know, I, I wasn't sure about it because some of the music was, was really new and there wasn't uh, the opportunity to perform, you know, most of it ahead of time. And we basically went in the studio for two and a half days and, and recorded. We didn't have rehearsals ahead of time. We would rehearse a tune and and record it and then move on to the next tune. And it's actually a very exciting way to work. I think Miles worked that way in the past. And uh, so that was one of the reasons why I hired uh, Dave and Kobe and Ron, because I, I knew that I could bring them into a situation where every, every arrangement wasn't, you know, mapped out from beginning to end. I kept things, you know, pretty loose uh, on, on a lot of the record, not all of it, but, but on most of it because I wanted to see what suggestions they would have and what they would bring to the music. And they did a hell of a job. Yeah. Um, now, even before this current uh, pandemic that we're in the middle of, folks were definitely uh, having mixed thoughts about the way that music was going in terms of whether jazz was getting enough love from the commercial world and commercial radio. And also whether, um, but then the internet and uh, YouTube and I would even argue things like Reverb Nation and other things have kind of were opening up the music and everything. How do you feel uh, jazz is doing as a musical art form as well as um, in terms of being supported? And do you th how do you think the new current model will survive? Because I've also talked to some musician friends of mine, and they're actually very worried about the state of music after we get out of this particular pandemic and everything and whether it will be what the state of music will be and how we will survive going through these many months of having this quiet time, both in the music world, the sports world, and some other worlds. So I just wondering what your thoughts were about the music industry before this and the music industry as we're going forward. Well, that's a, that's a complicated question. I'm, I'm going to try to answer it as, as succinctly as I can. Um, First of all, I've accepted, I mean, I'm not, I'm not lying on the floor in total submission, but I've accepted that jazz is not really popular music, but um, not when you compare it to even gospel music, which has a much wider audience last I checked. Um, I think pop music and, you know, and country music probably rule at this point. Um, but I forget, you know, there's always been a part of me that's been a little bit of a of a rebel. Uh, who was it that said I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me? Was it Groucho Marx or? Uh, yeah, I think, I think, that, it was I think that was Groucho Marx. that said that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously I'm saying that in jest because I would love to have a, have a, have a huge audience. I mean, I've got a pretty good audience, I think, but I'm, uh, I'm not uh, – independently wealthy by a long shot. I mean, you know, I stand to, to be hurt by this pretty badly if it continues for more than a couple of months. But I think that um, 
I've had mixed feelings about about the music business for a while um, because I have mixed feelings about the way that most music seems to be being delivered to people. Um, people aren't buying recordings as much. Uh, I think they'll buy your album if if you, if they go to a show and you're selling it. But I think they're more apt to buy a T-shirt if you have a T-shirt or something else. And what I'm getting at is that a lot of people are downloading. Um, and I'm okay with downloading if it's if they're paying for it. Uh, and then, but the problem is a lot of people are streaming or they're, they're they're listening on Spotify or iTunes or SoundCloud. And I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I know that a lot more people know who I am because I'm on those sites. But I also have done a lot of research, and I know that I think the average payout if somebody listens to your whole song or I, well I don't know if it's an entire song but they have to listen for more than a certain amount of time for it to count and it's something like point point oh four cents per play and it would take like over 3,000 plays uh, you know to receive um, $12 which is what I am charging for a download of, of you know most of my albums right now is $12 per album so it would be like 3,158 people would have to listen on Spotify or, or one of the other services for me to receive the equivalent. So obviously that's not a recipe for, uh, for making a living uh, through, you know, through recordings. Um, however, I, I like to make records occasionally, and this is probably the, the last, you know, time that I'll put a CD out, uh, because people aren't buying CDs anymore. The next thing I do, I'll probably do high-res downloads and, and maybe uh, maybe LPs, you know, vinyl, because I love the way vinyl sounds. But vinyl is very expensive. But uh, I still like to document, you know, where I'm at uh, every, every few years. Uh, you know, not every six or seven like I have been. I'd love to do it every year or two. Because it's good for artists to, to document their work so they can see where they are and so they can it's reassuring to see that at least for me to know that I'm, I'm being creative and, and trying to move forward uh, because that's, uh, I think that's the point. It's really about the process. It's not so much about the gig or about the album. It's more about the process. And so for me, it's kind of an essential part of the growth. Uh, One more thing I wanted to say is that I'm going to do a solo guitar uh, broadcast soon. Uh, maybe if I could get my act together, I might do it on on April fifteenth, which is traditionally oh. income tax day. Just you know, just to celebrate that we have a little longer this year to to deal with that. But if I can't get it together by then, it's going to happen in April, live from my um, home, from my condominium. <laughs> I'll, and I'll let you know. Yeah, please do. I would love to know about that, and I'll definitely uh, tune in, uh, you know, since they only want five people uh, around. I doubt that I'll be in the condominium with you, but I would definitely tune in and watch it from the comfort of my own apartment and everything. So definitely do let me know, and I'll definitely tune in and check it out and see how uh, that is going and everything. Um, well, I'll let you know in advance, a- and then you can put in a request for something, Okay. I would definitely do that. I will put in a request for yeah. one of the songs. I've got a couple of ideas in mind. I might even have you do one of your originals because uh, you've done some amazing originals. Or I might have you 
you know, I also know that every once in a while you do a cover, but I prefer when you do your original. So I'll probably request an original of yours. I just got to figure out which one I'm going to request. Well, I love doing, I love doing, uh, I don't call them covers so much because I, I change them around, but I love doing, I love taking a classic tune and putting my own spin on it. Uh, you know, the melody never gets lost, but it's, uh, it's my own take on it. But that's what we do in jazz, or improvised music. Yeah, definitely. That's what we do. And like I was talking about earlier, I know that we lost two masters of improv- improvisation in my mind. And I'm sure that uh, I'm thinking that since you know Bramford, you probably knew Ellis. I don't know if you ever met Bill Withers, but both of those I consider to be true masters of improvisation during the height of their careers and everything. And it sounds to me like a lot of uh, Bill Withers' attitude toward music is similar to what you are uh, stating and everything, because I believe that's why he got out of the music business was he got very frustrated with the way that the industry was going, and that was back in the 70s. Well, I'm not really doing it for the money. I mean, that's why I teach. Um, you know, the teaching helps to supplement the, the uh, you know, the performing. Um, I, I don't have a choice. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but when I was younger, I was offered a couple of um, – of positions. Uh, one was a family business and one was my uncle offered to set me up on the Chicago board of trade. And you can, you can be sure that I've kicked myself more than a few times, um, you know, you know, 30, 40 years later, uh, because it's not easy, uh, doing what I do, but, but I know that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Uh, you know, we also lost Bucky Pizzarelli. Did you hear about yeah. that? I did hear and about we that also as lost well. Wallace Roney. And Wallace Roney. I did not hear about Wallace. Was, uh, Wallace passed away last week, I think, or a few days ago. And, of course, wasn't he a uh, kind of a protege of Miles? I think he and Miles yeah. were very close friends. Wow. So we're definitely losing a yeah. lot of greats out, out of the music field and everything. And that's always a sad thing when we lose these iconic musicians because I consider all four of those tremendous icons in the music business. So it's always sad when we lose people like that. Yeah, I wow. did meet Ellis very briefly one time when I was walking off stage uh, after performing with Lois, you know, with Lois, De, uh, yeah, Lois DeLoach uh, at the tobacco, uh, at the tobacco place downtown Durham. Uh, I chatted with him for about two minutes and he was very nice. And obviously he's a, he's a giant, you know, uh, a giant in jazz. Yep, no doubt about that. How do you think we're doing? And I mean, and of course, we're going to see how it survives with the restaurants and everything. But it did seem like you said that jazz, in terms of being a popular music, wasn't all that popular. But it did seem like we were starting to get a rise in jazz performances, at least here in Durham. I'm thinking about like uh, places like The Fruit that were starting to do consistent jazz programming, places like, uh, um, of course, Duke Performances has had regular jazz performances. Uh, there's the thing that John Brown does, which is the uh, jazz uh, jam at Mary Lou. And it did seem like, at least before this, there was at least a, uh, in my mind, a peak in interest in at least people watching jazz. Uh, did you notice that, or is that just maybe wishful thinking on my part? No, no, I've noticed it. And don't forget, um, you know, this is a plug for the Durham Jazz Workshop. You know, we have the performance room, the Sharp Nine Gallery, and we've had all kinds of, of famous people perform there. Uh, and up until we had to shut down, uh, we were, you know, running, um, you know, two or three shows a week. Uh, and um, 
I, but I think Durham is kind of exceptional in that regard. I, I think if, unfortunately, I don't think, I think Durham is the, is the outlier. I, um, I mean, I live in Raleigh, and I don't think there are as many places in Raleigh where you can go hear jazz where jazz is is uh, is really presented more as a performance. You know, there's that. I guess there's a number of of bars and restaurants. But when you're talking about the fruit uh, or the Sharp Nine Gallery, and I I can't I can't remember now the uh, the other two places you mentioned, um, uh, where it's presented more as a performance, those are two different things. Uh, of course, I'm grateful that that so many restaurants and bars were 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 giving jazz musicians a chance to perform because when I was younger, I used to do those gigs three to five nights a week, and quite frankly, that's where I figured out. Uh, how to learn how to play was in front of audiences. Yep. That's the way you have to do it. You have to go in front of those audiences. And we've actually got one other guest I want to bring in as well, but I do want you to stay on the line and I definitely want people to learn about, uh, want people to find out how they can get in touch with you and where they can hear this music. And I actually did uh, the music you sent me. I did put some of it on our um, audio clip. So hopefully we'll get a chance to play some of that as well, but I did want to bring in Kenyana. But before I bring in Kenyana, I do have to tease you about something. You said that you thought about going to work in the Chicago uh, trade, which would be like <laughs> doing their version of the stock market, and that that might be better. I'm not sure about that on this particular day and time. It seems like the stock market is going, fluctuating up and down and going all over the place. I'm not sure that you would have enjoyed it as much in this particular day and time as you might have earlier in your career when it was more steady. But right now, it seems like it's a serious roller coaster. So you might have been having just as many headaches as you were with the music, with the uh, stock market, particularly in this day and time. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. You make a very good point. (laughs) So this has definitely been a mess. Uh, Dean, uh, if you could, bring Kenyana on. And um, actually, before we do that, if you look down, I think that there's a – one of the, it should say Scott Sawyer, and it should have be bring up number. It can either be two or eight. I think I put in both of them. But it should you be done. It says Scott Sawyer. It's got, it's got Scott Sawyer, and it's got the, either two or eight. Right. It has a number two. Here it is, right here on Straight Talk with Dana Mark.
So, Scott, if you want, if you want to, if you tell yeah. us a little bit about that, if you want to, tell us a little bit about that particular song and what it's all about. Well, you know, you know, first of all, I got to say, man, I knew that you were going to uh, be drawn to number two and number eight because you and I <laughs> share an affinity and a love for the blues. <laughs> I mean, I, I, when you said two and eight, I thought, yep, I knew it. Uh, and man, we haven't talked in a long time, but I still knew. Uh, that song is called Crawl. And, um, you know, man, I don't know. I think I, think I wanted to... I, I, all my songs on this particular record, everything pretty much, uh, with the exception of, of Blue Lounge, number eight, it, it started off uh, with a melody that I was hearing in my head. And then uh, Crawl uh, was an attempt, I think, to combine a blues, uh, kind of churchy gospel blues kind of feeling with... Uh, with a swampy three, four time feel, uh, something accessible, but that had really interesting harmonies. Uh, it's actually a pretty detailed tune. It goes through, it goes through several different keys and, um, but it seems to be something that people that maybe don't listen to a lot of, uh, hardcore jazz can relate to because there's other stuff on this record night visions that is a lot more esoteric and, that you know probably wouldn't reach people who uh, don't make a habit of listening to to more challenging jazz. Um, I mean, I love the blues, and that's really what it's about. It's about the blues. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad that you're a fan of the blues and roots music, and you know <laughs> a lot of and all of the great sounds. I mean, you've worked with some amazing musicians. Like you said, you mentioned some that are jazz artists, but you've worked with some amazing musicians that cover all kinds of spectrum. And you yourself are just uh, in tune to a lot of the musical kind of sounds and uh you know uh, nothing that scott sawyer does surprises me i'm not gonna be surprised if scott sawyer doesn't pull out a rap song at some point because like i said you're <laughs> you're that kind of uh, have that kind of capability that you can do just about any sound whether it's like the sounds that we're used to which is the jazz and blues or whether it's something more innovative like you know i'm not gonna be surprised but i don't look up and see scott sawyer performing with a polka band well, the rap hip hop thing will happen before the polka band, but you know what? Actually, I did play a gig with Melissa Reeves. Uh, it was just the two of us, and she did a polka version of me and Bobby McGee. She just did it off the cuff, and I just had to follow her. And it was one of the more insane moments of my performing career, but also probably one of the highlights. Um, I, it was two hours of follow the leader. <laughs> Well, that could be some of the best music. I've often said that one of the things that I would like to see done, and I actually mentioned this to Joe Newberry one time, is I think that you talked about the innovative nature of the music scene here in North Carolina, and I think that that's across the board. I think that you can't name an art form, whether it's Irish jig, uh, polka, blues, jazz, hip-hop, um, the list goes on and on, that we don't have somebody that gospel that you've mentioned earlier, that we don't have somebody that is known definitely regionally, if not nationally and internationally. And I was telling Joe Newberry at an event that I saw him at, it's actually something that his wife was helping put together over there at the uh, Marriott, that I thought that at some point, and this was before the pandemic and everything, that we should get the Carolina Theater or the Haytai and just basically have like a jam session where you bring in all these musicians of these different styles and then it becomes, like you said, a follow the leader thing where it becomes a mix-up kind of session where you might wind up getting 
say, a uh, the lady from Midtown Dickens performing with Pierce Freeline or the um, members of Megaphon performing with, like, the uh, um, Mighty Gospel Inspirations. Oh, I'm totally into that, man. On my last record, Dreamers, I wrote a song for Tony Williamson, the great mandolin player from North Carolina, called Tony Speaks. And I've performed with him at the North Carolina Museum of Art. I'm all about cross-genre or even cross-discipline collaborations. Uh, It's what keeps me, hopefully, uh, I mean, it keeps me feeling like I'm fresh and moving forward. Uh, I don't want to stay in the same place. That's the whole point for me of being an artist is to constantly learn uh, and evolve. And you've been doing a great job of that on a regular basis. I want to bring uh, Kenyatta into the conversation. Kenyatta is an uh, artist out of the California area. So, uh, Kenyatta, are you there with us? Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Now, Jay Rob was telling us that you're actually involved in the arts as well. You've been doing uh, some work, I believe, in the acting field. Now, are you doing just acting or are you doing acting, singing? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've gotten involved in the arts. Like I said, we've got Scott Sawyer, who's a seasoned artist here in the area, and I say that with utmost respect, being that I'm also seasoned, being 57 and all. Uh, <laughs> don't, we won't talk about Scott's age. He may be a little bit above me. He may be younger, but we'll just leave that to people's imagination. But tell us about your uh, involvement in the arts and how you got involved with uh, BDD Entertainment and what y'all are all about. Yes, um, I have been doing it since I was a little girl. I've been singing, acting, doing everything. I mean, I just love to do it, you know, and BDD Entertainment, I've been with them, you know, for probably a year now, you know, close to that area, but we're working on projects and stuff like that. And what are some of the uh, things that you would like to know in terms of being, hearing from a seasoned artist, what kind of advice are you looking forward because i know one thing we have is we love to let people know that they're beginning to start off um get advice from those that have been doing it for a while so if you were to ask somebody that had been doing it for a while what kind of questions would you have for a seasoned artist like scott what i would be asking is what is the road that i would be taking just to try to make it you get what i'm saying just making it what would be my first step Well, the first step, I don't know, I'm not sure what the first step is, but I can tell you that if you're, if you're, if you're honest about what you're trying to put across uh, and you believe in it, uh, then, then I think you'll be okay in the end. Um, I had more than a few people suggest things to me early on that uh, instead of doing what I was trying to do, that I should consider doing this or that. And I think we have to be uh, truthful in our work, in our art, and um, and express ourselves as honestly uh, as we can. And I think we just have to do it and not worry uh, about how it's going to be perceived. That's my advice to any right. artist. And what do you I tell people that are... Yeah, that's great advice, uh, Scott. And what do you tell folks that have to deal with those um, doubters? Because, like I said, you talked about early in your career that there were doubters, and I know that a lot of times I don't care what the field is, you have those people that are going to want to try to doubt and try to throw, for lack of a better term, shade on what you're doing. So 
How did you cope with that in the early part of your careers? And I imagine that you even have to deal with that even in the part of your career that you're in now, because I don't think doubters ever leave. I think that they stay in our careers, no matter whether we're in the uh, first year of a career or the 55th year of a career. Yeah. Well, again, um, well, you know, one good thing about getting older is you get to a point where you, where you don't, where, I mean, I care about, I care about reaching people, but if um, if somebody doesn't particularly like what I'm doing, um, you know, much less love it, uh, I don't take that personally anymore. I think I took it personally maybe when I was in my in my 20s and early 30s. But then I realized that I don't like everything that I that I do. You know, I mean, there's some performances, or uh, I'll go out and play a show, and I don't feel like it's a great show, and but there's always another show, you know, there's always another recording. So I don't worry too much about what other people think. Um, it's nice when your peers uh, tell you that they like what you're doing. But in the end, I just try to think about what I'm trying to do, and I try to put it out there uh, with um, as cleanly and as honestly as I can. Uh, and um, I'm, as I get older, I'm concerned with, with uh, trimming the fat, meaning, uh, you know, the music that I'm putting out there, I'm, I'm trying to make uh, every note count. I mean, I don't think that's attainable all the time, but uh, I think it's just you just have to believe in what you're doing and you have to be honest and do it. Yeah, that's very true. You have, definitely have to do that on a regular basis and do things of that nature. Kenyana, if you're still there, um, where can folks hear yeah. your music and uh, – Tell us a little bit about just your own sound. If you had to describe your sound, how would you describe it? What is the sound like? Uh, who would you compare yourself to? And is there anybody that uh, is your inspirations? Um, I would, if I had to compare myself, I would say I'm like a Whitney and a Tony Braxton. So it's kind of that uh, more modern kind of pop sound and everything, very similar to what Whitney was all about when she was living and what Tony Braxton has and things of that nature. And are you playing mostly in the L.A. area or there's certain clubs that you're playing? I mean, can't, like we were talking about with Scott, can't do but so much right now because everybody around the country is under lockdown pretty much. Right. Um, no, I'm, I don't live in California. I just have a California number because I know that's where I want to go. I'm wanting to go to California. I actually live okay. in North Carolina. And, and we're in North, and we're in North Carolina? I said, um, where in North Lenore, Carolina are you? Yeah. Lenore. Okay. Lenore. Uh -huh. And you say California is like your desired place to go. Why California versus New York? Because I know a lot of people think of New York as being more of a uh, music capital if you're going to go outside of the area. But like we've been talking about with Scott, you know, North Carolina has a rich music scene as well. Right. And the reason I would want to go to California, because that's where I've always wanted to go, and I just love it there. And, like, you know, I want to make movies there, music, and different kind of things. So you don't want to be just one-dimensional in terms of your art. You want to go into a variety of styles of entertainment. Yes, have different styles, you know, not just music and not just acting, like different types of things. And then I would like gotcha. to go to Atlanta as well, you know, because down there is where they do good movies and stuff like that. Yep, Tyler has definitely made a uh, – Big name for folks down there in Atlanta, 
as well as other uh, filmmakers and, of course, the musicians that are down there doing some amazing work. Uh, Scott, have you um, have you had the opportunity of doing, because uh, I can't remember all the great things you've done. Definitely I remember the music that you've done. But have you had this opportunity of doing anything? I think I read somewhere that you had done something with both TV and film in terms of scores. Um, how did, the, did you do that, and how did that come about? Well, I didn't do any scoring. Uh, there was a movie called Once Around that was directed by Lass, or uh, I'm not sure how you say his name. Okay, Lasse Hallstrom. And it starred Danny Aiello and Holly Hunter and Richard Dreyfuss, and part of it was filmed in Durham. And I got a call to to record The Glory of Love with uh, Danny Aiello. For, uh, it's one of the opening scenes in the movie where he's... Uh, one of his daughters is getting married and he picks up a guitar and, and sings the glory of love. And it's actually me playing guitar, but, uh, I had, I had to show him how to fake, uh, playing a guitar. Uh, so that's, uh, I mean, I've done some, some stuff for like independent films, uh, but it's been like local regional stuff. I can't even remember, you know, specifically what they are because it's, it's been a long time. Is that something that you, as you're exploring even more things for yourself, uh, even in this part of your career, is that something that you would like to do more of, or are you just content with trying to get these sounds out? And uh, you actually mentioned something earlier, which is the fact that you thought that you wanted to bring your next album out in LP form. And a lot of folks have thought that LPs had gone the way of the dinosaur, but it seems to me that you're saying that they're making a comeback. Well, that's what I'm hearing. I have a younger brother who's a, a huge music fan and, uh, in fact, he indirectly hooked me up with O'Teal and Kofi Burbridge. Uh, they played on a record of mine called "Go There," and he uh, he wanted to actually he wanted to actually pay for a hundred copies of of Night Visions, but it was so much money. I just said, "Man, let's not do it. Let's just save the money for you know for another project." Uh, but no, I think vinyl's coming back. Uh, I'm seeing. I think I think vinyl and high res downloads are probably the way things are moving. So. I've always liked vinyl. I've, I've always liked the way it sounds. It does seem to have a clearer sound from what I've been able to see. It has a much clearer sound, and it also uh, seems to um, – there's a lot more you can do with it. I mean, don't get me wrong, CD art is wonderful, but I don't think it'll ever match vinyl art because you can do a lot more with the art on a vinyl as well than you can with a CD. I mean, it's the limited canvas that you have there with the CD in terms Absolutely. of like the visual art that you can do in terms of the promotions and everything. Whereas I just think of some of the amazing vinyl art um, that was part of the album that we used to see back in the day. Like, uh, of course, the Ohio players had some amazing artwork, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I could just go on and on. Oh, yeah. Some of those that had, had great artwork as part of what they were doing and things of that nature. And I'm thinking that if vinyl comes back, There'd be, there may be more of those kind of collaborations that uh, we have to some degree, but that might even bring more of the collaborations between, say, the visual artists and the musical artists, because I do know that that existed, I want to say, back in the 60s and the 70s, where there were some known visual artists that were doing work with uh, some of the other folks as well. No, you're right. And I just remember the whole vinyl experience. You know, you'd go, you'd save your money, you'd go to the record store, I'd buy the record, I'd go home, I set up, you know, I put the record on the turntable, clean it off, then I put a chair in the perfect spot in the room in between the speakers. I 
pour myself something to drink. I'd get the I'd get the lights just right, and then you sit down and you listen to the first side, which was anywhere from 18 to 20 minutes or 15 to 20 minutes long, and then you get up for intermission, quick intermission, go over, you know, flip the record over and listen to the second side. It was like a ritual, you know, like a show. And nowadays with CDs, people can, or MP3 players, people can just uh, hit shuffle play or listen to 20 seconds and it just hit a button to move on to the next thing. So I think the art of listening has changed uh, too. So I, um, I'm happy to see vinyl making a comeback. That actually brings up another question because it seems to me that you talk about the art of listening changing. I remember when I was in um, both high school and college, there was all these music appreciation courses, and there seemed to be people that were definitely trying to get people to understand what the what the pre- meaning behind the music was, not just listening to the music and letting the music just seek in that way, but there was these kind of music appreciation courses. I don't know if they're as active now as they used to be, and I was wondering if you think that, that we could – that that's something that's lacking from our education system because I do know that a lot of times if you have music appreciation that helps develop your critical thinking and just also helps you have a greater understanding if you have an understanding of maybe what Beethoven was thinking when he was doing his music. So how do you feel we're doing in terms of music education? I mean, part of what y'all did at the uh, Durham Music uh, was definitely dealing with music education, but in terms of the grander scene, how do you think we're doing in that regard? Well, um, I think I think there's still a lot of music appreciation classes going on. Um, uh, every spring semester at ECU, um, well, I'm not teaching it this semester, uh, but most spring semesters I teach a course called Jazz Pedagogy, and uh, and actually a, a lot of it is really, I think, kind of what you're describing. You know, listening to music and and discussing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm not like necessarily so interested in trying to figure out what the composer was thinking or what they intended. I'm more interested in, in knowing what the listener thinks about it. You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, I would like to ask, I would like to ask uh, 10 people who, who listen to Crawl, uh, like what they think about it. What does it sound like to them? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's part of why I think we do this thing. You know, those of us who, are involved in the arts, whether we're whether we're writing music or performing music or painting or writing poetry or choreographing dance or performing dance or sculpting things from different materials. I think that's the whole thing is to get a reaction and to get a response. Uh, I have friends who are poets, uh, and you know sometimes it takes me a long time to figure out what I think the poem means to me you know uh uh but that's the beauty of it i think for me it's uh it, that's the, that, it's that's the beauty and also the beauty is that, is that it can change because like i said you might hear the song one time and it might mean or the poem one time and it might mean one thing and then maybe you went through something that the poem is touching that changes the meaning of it to you at a later time so like i said you know you may Exa- hear exactly a song that means one thing but then life happens and it totally changes the meaning of that song. I mean, I'm thinking, like I mentioned earlier, you know, and I think I'll get uh, Dean to put that on very shortly, but I mentioned that one of my favorite Bill Withers songs was Grandma's Hands. And I mean, I think the reason I liked it was my, my grandmother was living at the time that that song 
was out and was very popular. Now, neither one of my grandparents are living. So, of course, it has a whole different meaning in terms of, like, reflecting on what they meant to me as a person. Whereas when the song first came out, I was probably thinking literally about my grandma's hands, both and particularly the one that was more uh, church-going. I mean, they were both uh, both attended a church or two uh, in terms of going to church, but one was more of a church-going woman than the other. And so I probably thought of her more when I thought of that song, but... Then as uh, they both passed, the song meant my memories of both of them, both of my grandparents, so, and particularly both of my grandmothers. So I, I do think that the meanings change as we go about life. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, uh, Dean, if you could put on uh, Grandma's Hands, and then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more to Kenyatta and uh, Scott as well. But just wanted folks to hear a little bit of that song. I think it's about three minutes long, but that is one of my favorites. And it should say Bill Withers' Grandma's Hands. We got it. We got it right here. Bill Weathers' grandmother's hand here on Straight Talk with Dana Mark. Most of us at some point in our lives have somebody that means more to us than anybody else has ever meant before or will ever mean again. Sometimes it's a long-legged lady if you're a man or some tall, very smooth man if you're a woman and in some odd cases they get kind of crossed up we won't talk about those but in my case I learned how to really love somebody from not a very pretty lady not at that point in her life not uh, sexy at all but just a nice old lady who used some very nice old gnarled hands to make life kind of nice for me at that time when I really needed somebody. And it wasn't after I got older and started to look around for things. It was before I even knew what I was looking for. And probably since I consider myself somebody who writes primarily, out of all the uh, things that I might have written, my favorite thing that I've written has, has to be about this favorite old lady of mine. church on Sunday morning, Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well, Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning, she'd say, Billy, don't you run so fast, might fall on a piece of glass, might be snakes there in that grass, Grandma's hands.
Was there anybody that inspired you the way that uh, Billy was talking about that uh, his grandmother inspired him in terms of uh, the musical career? And the same goes for uh, Kenyatta as well. Is there anybody that really inspired you in terms of trying to get this career off the ground? I didn't have a a family figure, uh, unfortunately, like Bill did. Uh, He inspired me. I think early on it was as it is today to a great degree, the people that I was working with. I um, I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina, when I was a junior in high school, and I quickly fell into what was a very vibrant music scene. Um, by the time I was, like, 19, I was playing in, you know, two or three different bands, and a lot of it was with people that were a little bit older than me, sometimes seven or eight years older than me, which... When you're 18 or 19, that's that's different, you know. Um, and there's a lot of great musicians that came out of Greensboro during that time period. A lot of them are still there, and there's it's still a very interesting kind of creative place. So I think that was my inspiration was that I was just uh, fortunate to be able to uh, to work with people really from almost the beginning, uh, like three or four years into playing guitar. Halfway seriously, I was playing guitar in front of uh, in front of audiences. And where did you move here from again, Scott? I'm sure you've told me in the past, but I forgot. Well, I moved here from um, Auburn, Maine, We're right across the river from Lewiston, where uh, where Cassius Clay knocked out Sonny Liston in in the first minute of the fight. Um, but I'm from Chicago, and um, my uh, mother still. Well, she's actually back in Chicago now. I grew up in Chicago and then later the Chicago suburbs. Uh, there was a brief period where I lived in Dallas for a couple of years. But I came here from after two and a half years in Maine. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Kenyana, uh, is there anybody that's really been inspiring you in terms of your musical career as you're starting and developing it? Um, I mean... Not really. I mean, like, musical people have inspired me, some of them. And my mom, me watching her over the years, she's really inspired me. Okay. So she's a musician as well, or she's performed in the church that y'all go to or something along those lines? No, my mother's a minister. So her talking to me and telling me, you know, go for it if I, you know, she, you know, just inspiring me and telling me to do it go and do what I feel like doing. Well, that's good that you have got that kind of support from your parents and everything. Um, 
I definitely want both of y'all to stay on the line. You know, we are in the middle of some very serious times, and I did have some people that were calling in to deal with what we're going through in that regard as well. So I do want to get back to y'all and to talk about um, how folks can get in touch with you, particularly you, Scott, and everything. But I did invite a young lady on that I had met through Shri to talk about uh, what we're going through in terms of the current crisis and everything and to give us more insight. So uh, we've got a uh, young lady on, so I'm getting ready to bring her on right now. So, uh, Dean, if you could bring, uh, and I'll have to get her to pronounce the name because I am horrible at Indian pronunciations, unfortunately, but I'm sure that she'll give me the correct pronunciation, and then we'll find out what things are going and how things are going in New York and whether uh, things are improving and whether people are doing, as we said earlier, I have heard it in North Carolina, people are actually practicing uh, that whole thing of social distancing, so we're going to see if that's the case across the board. Great. De- yeah, thanks. Dean? Do you see me just now? Okay. Hello. How, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Hello. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, if you would, Doctor, pronounce your last name. Like I said earlier, I am horrible with last names of uh, folks from India and things of that nature. I'm I hate to say that. I no should worries. do better. <laughs> no worries. Dr. Chandra Shaker. Chandra Shaker. So tell us yeah, a little bit about perfect. your work in in uh, the New York, I believe you're in the New York area, and how folks are doing. We were talking earlier at the beginning of the show about social distancing and about how it seems that here in North Carolina there is reports that we're doing fairly well and that they're actually saying that our numbers may be down from what was predicted, but I don't know how that is going in terms of the rest of the country. So does it seem like social distancing is working up there in the Northeast? Are people actually practicing, as uh, Dean likes to talk about it, the actual daily washing of the hands and the wearing of the mask and things of that nature, and uh, or people finding innovative ways to wear the mask? <laughs> well, I think yes to all. So uh, we are sorry to be one of the leaders in the country on this, and but we are hoping that the rest of the country learns from the early mistakes in New York. So I think we didn't practice social distancing early enough, and you saw that huge peak uh, in cases and unfortunately in deaths and sort of an overwhelming number of very, very sick patients coming into the healthcare system that was not really well prepared. Um, I think it's very hard to prepare for something this dramatic. But now we finally have a couple of uh, blips in the news of some decreasing numbers. Uh, All the schools in the area are closed. All the um, uh, non-essential workers are staying home. Um, And that's really helping because we have an area, as you know, about – a total of about 8 to 10 million people move about on a normal day in and out of New York and the environs going about their business on public transportation, in cars, on bikes, on foot. And so now with the, the vast majority staying home, including students and teachers and uh, shop uh, assistants and, you know, people, lawyers, nobody who who doesn't exactly have to be at work, should be there. We're seeing um, that social distancing seems to be driving the numbers down. I'll tell you, people have, once we figured out that this was real, and everything takes a little bit to catch up to, 
uh, once we figured out that this is real, people have been very good about there's no more handshakes, there's no more hugs. People are doing their best to maintain at least six feet, if not longer, distance between each other. People are starting to wear masks a lot, particularly when they have to be close to other people on a bus or a subway or in a grocery store. Um, and I think um, we're seeing maybe the fruits of those labors in the numbers dipping down a little bit just now. Well, that's good to know that the numbers are dipping down. Now, you know, for a long time, the America was very much of a social kind of town and social environment. I think about all the times of the sports worlds and the different handshakes and the daps and the different things that the entertainers came up with and things of that nature. Do you think that this is going to have a long impact where we will see more and more of this kind of social distancing even after we get out of the uh, pandemic? And who knows how long that will be. And is there any time frame as to when the experts are predicting that we might start to see a decline and an opportunity for life back to normal? Are we thinking six months? Are we thinking a year? Or um, I think that uh, somebody had said that they had heard from Dr. Fauci, I guess online or something, that it might even wind up being a seasonal thing. So what are, what is the current model saying as to what this will look like, say, a year from now, and in terms of its impact on just general culture? Because like I said, a lot of those things that you were talking about, people had been doing for years all the time, uh, and I think they've gotten used to doing it, whether it was a business handshake or whether it was the athletes doing the DAP thing or things of that nature. But it sounds like after we get out of this, we're going to have to curtail even from that so that we don't bring it back in terms of bringing back the symptoms and everything and bringing back uh, something of this drastic na- of a nature. Uh, I think you're right. I think we're learning a lot. From this. I think, you know, as, as you said, with my name, my ethnicity, I'm an American, but my ethnicity is Indian, and nobody goes around hugging and kissing in India, you know, to say hello. We, you know, say namaste, or in Japan they bow, I think we're going to see a lot more sort of non-touch business greetings uh, going on, which is not uh, unreasonable. I think it's really hard not to celebrate a victory on a on a sports field, right? It's really hard not to not to chest bump or do a dap or do something. Uh, but I think we're going to see people changing that bit by bit. I think we're going to see that employers um, who can minimize the commute for their employees will, while still getting, you know, the right amount of work done, uh, might start, we may see more telecommuting, we may see a little bit less need for what they call FaceTime at the office, you know, if you're not necessarily have to be there. Um, I don't, I mean, it, looking at the projections, we're going to be back partial working I think in a month, month and a half, it looks like it from now uh, up here. But I think, you know, our economy is going to take a while to recover from this, as you know. Yes, it definitely sounds like the economy is going to take a long time to recover. I mean, I'm glad that the stimulus package passed. But even with that, and then you have to figure out when the stimulus has come to people and also um, then that stimulus money then getting circulated back into the economy. So it definitely seems like the economy is going to take a while in order to have a cure and everything. I'm also wondering if it's not maybe going to change the nature about the way that we do things. Because like I said, I mean, definitely we talk about certain sports will never change. Basketball will always be basketball. Football will always be a contact sport. But 
even like um, I don't know, Scott. Have you thought about the fact of after this changes, will we see bands keeping six feet apart from each other in order to like maybe change the nature of the way that the bands are configured? Because right now, a lot of times the bands are right up on each other. The band mates are right up on each other. Man, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I hope eventually we can get back to being able to set up close to each other. But particularly the kind of music I play. Well, I mean, I play all kinds of music, but if I'm just playing with like a folk singer, like if I'm working with Bruce Pioff, you know, he's playing acoustic guitar and singing. I, I want to be close to him so I can hear what he's doing. I, I want to hear it from him, not from a monitor speaker or, or a PA. And the same thing with instrumental jazz. I want to be set up close, but you know, you do what you got to do. So whatever the situation calls for is what is what we're going to have to do. Definitely. I wonder and, I wonder if we're going to improve technology so that your in-ear monitors will sound much more natural, right? I, I mean, there are ways that we can implement technological advancements because, frankly, your fans want to hear you playing for, for as long as possible, right? They don't want you to get sick. So if there's a way to configure a stage where you feel like you're part of an intimate group but maybe you are maintaining a distance, but your ears are also feeling that intimate nature, you know, that may be the best of both worlds. This may be an opportunity for us to um, to harness technology in ways that really make um, natural things like music even more beautiful and yet let you keep performing for your entire career. Well, you're right. Uh, I think the only the only uh, problematic part of that is that when you're when you're performing in larger venues uh, that have um, you know sound reinforcement support, it's already there and and it's doable. But when you're performing in smaller like uh, like coffee houses or restaurant bars or I I perform at the Grove Winery with Bruce every year. It's a stage set up at a field, and they don't even have a PA. We uh, typically bring, like, one speaker, one small powered speaker. So we don't have the means to to provide, an, like, a, a good in-ear monitor system. But maybe that stuff will start to become more uh, affordable uh, or easier to deal with as a result of this, because I think we're going to have to change. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. And the other thing, Doctor, that I've heard people talk about is they're wondering – you're talking about um, a month and a half in New York, maybe that same time of time frame here. So let's say two to three months from now for the Carolinas and some of the other places that are just now getting the initial impact and everything. That being said, there are I know in countries like Japan and China and some of the Asian countries, it's not unusual for people to be seen walking down the street with a mask. I mean, that is becoming more and more common here in North Carolina and definitely up there in New York. But do you think that this is something that we're going to see that's going to be almost the norm now, that, it, that we will see people all constantly wearing masks and that that will be the majority of the population and not the minority the way it's been in the past? So that's something that I have thought about for a long time. Uh, when this first started, I thought about the fact that, you know, everybody in China wears a mask and still this disease occurred, right? So it's not a panacea. The masks we're seeing right now, and I think it's because they are a novelty, oh, man, they are decked out. They are bedazzled and blinged, and they're beautiful. But, man, it seems so un-American to walk around with a mask on, 
you know, to go about <laughs> your, your normal day. Um, a lot of the reason that masks are worn, uh, for example, in Beijing before this, was because the level of pollution was so high there that you really couldn't read without some sort of filter. Um, I, I uh, you know, maybe I'll be one of those dinosaurs who longs for the days when I could see my, my fellow countrymen's faces. I don't know. Uh, I think that, that remains to be, to be seen. And it may be that we don't wear it to walk around the street, but we do wear it to get into a crowded subway, let's say, something like that. So maybe we're just wearing it when we're going into more crowded environments, like you said, like the subway, or here we have mass transit with the public buses and things like that nature. So maybe it's, or if, I mean, we have a very popular uh, ball team here, the Durham Bulls. And I mean, I can't even envision going to a game and that's a game with many thousands of people. I mean, it's not like a New York Yankee stadium or our Met stadium, but we still got a pretty decent crowd. And I just can't even envision seeing tons of masks in front of this crowd. But I'm thinking that as we're going through this, that may be something that we face where we go into a game watching the Durham Bulls, which the movie was uh, loosely based on and oh, everything. Yeah, yeah. And and we're seeing a bunch of people wearing masks. So I guess that may become the norm, but I don't know that I'll ever, like you, I might be a dinosaur and be longing for the days <laughs> where you could actually see the people's faces and watch them and see their reaction to the hits or their reactions to the um, the entertainment that might be happening on the field that's even unrelated to the game or just what's going on in the stands and everything. So I might be longing for those old days of those kind of things. But uh, we may be heading into a new day, unfortunately, where the mask has become very common. And the other thing I've heard is that um, how effective are these masks? Because like I said, I've heard of definitely um, the – I know the mask that is the surgical mask and the one that uh, – it has the end in the title. I know those are very effective, yeah. but some of these other masks, I'm not too sure about. I mean, some of them are scarves. I've heard well, about people that have used yeah, towels. The, and Yeah, these masks are sort of like um, like your grandmother wrapping a scarf around her on a windy day, you know, kind of thing. So they're not, they're not going to – if you, you happen to go into a hospital ward, this is not the mask that's going to protect you. Um, and if you're sick, if you're really sick and spewing forth these virus every time you cough or, or uh, in fact, every time you speak, um, it's going to only protect to a certain level. So this is really good for that first level of protection. You go to the grocery store, you know, you're walking up and down the aisles, you have one level more of protection, so you're six feet away from the person in front of you, you're, you know, not coughing into your hands, um, you're coughing into your elbow or hopefully not coughing at all, um, and you've got a mask on to prevent yourself from sending viruses out and from somebody who doesn't know they're contagious, perhaps, from sending you some viruses. They're not effective in the hospital. So in the hospital, we want nurses and doctors and healthcare workers, x-ray techs, you know, even the security guard, like whoever is working in the hospital we want them to be protected, and that's, they need the, they're called N95 masks and N95 respirators. And those really seal against your face and really make a very tight seal that works very effectively to prevent you from getting viruses and, in fact, giving viruses to somebody else. Now, I'll tell you, the reason we need to take these precautions 
is that you could be walking around right as rain and still have the virus and be contagious. And 80% of people won't end up going to the hospital. They'll have what we call a mild case. But a mild case feels awful. A mild case is sort of like the four or five worst flus you ever had put together with muscle aches and pains and it hurts to breathe and maybe you're shaking and you're feverish. You're just not bad enough to go into an emergency room. So the reason you're wearing a mask is you don't know if you're contagious, you don't know if the person next to you is contagious, and the more we can distance ourselves and prevent that kind of spread, the less likely we're going to see those really bad cases. And uh, that actually raises an interesting question. How are we doing in terms of coming up with the test? I believe there's supposed to be a test that will let people know whether they've had the virus even after they've had the virus. Because I've known a couple of friends of mine that were miserably sick. I mean, they had uh, various sicknesses. They might have had a cold. They might have had a fever. And in retrospect, they think that they might have had the virus. Now, they never got diagnosed with the virus, and they don't know this for a fact. But they just, in retrospect, as they've heard some of these symptoms that people have had, they were like, well, maybe I had it, and, I, you know, it, my immune system defeated it for me, and I've weathered the storm. But that doesn't mean that they're not carrying it to other people. So do you know how far we are from getting those kind of tests? And is it true that they could have had the virus? Because I don't even know what time the virus came into the Americas and everything, because I just know that this was like people that were sick, like around January and February, and maybe even December. And I've known at least five or six people that in the retrospect, they're now wondering, did I have COVID-19? I mean, they're still walking and breathing. So they know that they did not have the fatal version, but they still don't know whether they had one of the versions that exists out there? I think that's a great question. I actually think that we had a lot more cases, like you're saying, mild, you know, bad, but mild, that have gone undiagnosed. Um, And, you know, before this shutdown, the world was really flat, right? It was anywhere in America you could meet somebody who had been in China or India or Africa or London yesterday, right? It's, 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 a, it's a mobile country. Um, the, there are two tests that we're talking about. So the one test is the nasal swab to see if you're shedding virus right now. So it's a really deep, it's exactly where your mother told you not to put anything in your nose. That's how deep you go. And we take a swab from the way back of your nose and we look for viral particles. That's why sneezing, coughing is bad because the virus is in the back of your nose and it can come out with a lot of force when you do that. That will tell you, and that's about 70% accurate if you have the virus now. So the friends uh, or the people who think they may have had the virus, what they want to know is do they have antibodies to the virus? So do they have evidence in their blood that they've had the virus, they've built up an immune response, And, in fact, we are hoping the people who a blood test shows that they've had the antibodies, they could be the first set of people who get to go back to work because they are sort of immune to the virus as far as we understand it. So they are the safest to send back to work as we do like a slow roll reopening of the economy. So there's actually a really really nice article in today's New York Times that's called How Will We Know When It's Time to Reopen the Nation, written by Aaron Carroll. And he he says four points. He says, 
hospitals should be safely able to safely treat all the patients who need hospitalization without the current crisis. Like right now, lobbies are turned into wards. You know, like the whole hospital is upended. But in a normal course of events, the hospital should be able to treat these patients. The state needs to be able to test at least everybody who has the symptoms, if not like their friends or their first or second degree contacts. Third is the state should be able to monitor the confirmed cases and their contacts. So if you have coronavirus, the state should be able to go to your spouse, your business partner, your the grocery store person you interacted with to see if they've got the virus. And then we have to make sure that the cases are really low for about two weeks before we do a slow roll of the economy. That The next step for that is saying let's, the blood test seems to be there. It's in trials right now. Actually, speaking of the Durham Bulls, a lot of Major League Baseball teams have signed up to be tested for their players and their staff to be tested for antibodies to see if they can then participate in these trials to use that plasma to help cure the patients who are really sick. Oh, wow. So, um, I know, it's a lot of information. <laughs> Definitely. And what are, because I've heard different ones, and some of them sound very uh, simple, some of them sound very much more complicated. The way you're describing it, what are the hardcore symptoms that you know that you have COVID-19. Are there certain symptoms, like I said, we're in North Carolina and it's pollen season, so some people are definitely, you know, having slight sneezes, slight colds, things of that nature. And is there a way to differentiate between, say, an allergy cold or a regular cold and COVID-19? Are there certain symptoms that are more strongly on a regular basis going to be associated with COVID-19? Yeah, so that's a terrific question. So up here, um, it's gorgeous. The cherry blossoms and the magnolias are in bloom, and therefore everybody who's going to sneeze and cough is sneezing and coughing, right? So the allergies are kicking up because Mother Nature doesn't know we're in a pandemic. So um, normal allergy symptoms are that the normal thing you get every year, so the runny nose, the allergy type of sneeze, the sort of the itchy, watery eyes, the sort of the general allergy response. That's just your allergies. For COVID, what you're looking for is a cough that just doesn't go away. Not a cough because your nose is running forwards and backwards and you're coughing that up, but a cough that just continues. You're looking for a fever, and the fever is defined as anything over 100.4. So not 104, 104, that's very high, but 100.4. So 98.6 is normal. But if your fever is 100.4 or more, that's considered a fever, and that's a sign of COVID. So you're looking at a persistent cough. You're looking at a fever. Um, we're actually seeing a lot of cases with a significantly reduced sense of smell or sometimes an absent sense of smell, which... Um, is this, which sometimes patients will say, I can't taste anything. 90% of taste is smell, so that's sort of the same symptom. Uh, a neighbor of mine, a very good friend of mine, his wife called me this weekend. He couldn't smell the bacon she was cooking, you know, for anything. And I think he has a case of COVID. I had him quarantine himself in the house away from his wife and children, and hopefully it will be a mild case and he'll get over it. 
So you're looking for fever, you're looking for cough, you're looking for a change, a really bad change in your sense of smell, not just that stuffy nose from your allergies. And then you're looking for difficulty breathing. So you're looking for the inability to take in a big, deep breath and kind of really expand your lungs. It hurts or you can't really do that. Those are all sort of the, I mean, if I can say classic for something we've had for three weeks, but those are sort of the classic symptoms we're looking for. Okay. And I've also heard of some folk symptoms, I mean, no, folk cures. And I was wondering if you've heard of these and whether they work. Like I've heard garlic, like hot garlic water is supposed to work. Oh, man, maybe it keeps away the, the, the Draculas in your life. There's no data about the garlic water, none. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe if you don't like people, you know, you're isolating anyway. Have as much garlic as you want, I guess. <laughs> and if somebody happens to knock on the door and you breathe with garlic, they probably won't stick around. So they'll, they'll, they'll go and leave you alone. So it could be a plan. <laughs> Sounds like a good step. Although if you're, wear, if you're eating garlic and you're wearing a mask, you might kill yourself is all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> That's not a good uh, that's another thing. Uh, speaking of the mask and coming back to the mask, the other thing that I've seen just going out and about is are people actually wearing the mask correctly? Because I've seen people, like I was talking to a friend of mine, and I remember we saw somebody, or at least I saw somebody, wearing the mask, and then they were eating their food. So it seems to me like if you're eating the food, you've got the danger of the crumbs landing on the mask, which defeats the purpose of the mask. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you got to take off your mask in order to eat or pull it down at your neck in order to eat and then kind of scooch it right back up. It should cover your nose and your mouth, and it actually has to be pretty tight across the bridge of your nose um, so that it kind of keeps, you know, your breath in and other air out. Um, and if you wear glasses, if you don't do that, it will really fog up your glasses like you can't really see. So it's I'm a surgeon, so I wear a mask all the time, so I know how to wear a mask without fogging everything up. But it's really funny. My husband normally does not wear a mask, and I had to pinch the nose part of his mask together so that it would settle properly so that he could breathe and see and protect himself with it. The other, you were talking about other stuff people can take. Uh, People should be comfortable taking vitamin C because that's really, you know, Linus Pauling won a Nobel Prize uh, for teaching us that vitamin C um, works against viral infections. Um, and then um, you should think about taking zinc. So the vitamin C is about 1,000 milligrams per day. Um, you can think about taking zinc, which is 50 milligrams per day, and that's a tablet. So you never want to put zinc inside the nose or up your nose, because that will actually destroy your sense of smell permanently. And then you can try uh, something called echinacea. There's some vague evidence about taking 400 milligrams of echinacea three times a day. There's a lot of evidence for the vitamin C and the zinc. And what foods would have those in there if you don't want to take the tablets? Are there any foods that you would recommend that would have either the zinc in it or the vitamin C? Of course, vitamin C, I would think oranges, but there are others that might have vitamin C as well and definitely the uh, other uh, element that you just named. But what foods could you have if you don't want to take the tablets? So I would say, obviously, citrus for the vitamin C, leafy green vegetables, um, 
you know, less processed food in the diet, more fresh food, uh, fruit and vegetables and meat. Um, a nice high-protein diet is very helpful. And you want to try to reduce inflammation. So actually, other than the orange, uh, other than the citrus for vitamin C, keep the rest of the acidity down because that will also reduce the inflammation in your body. And uh, one of the other things, I'm just curious, uh, I've still got Kenyana on the line who's a young entertainer and everything, and there was rumors at one point that the, this particular virus was targeting more of the elderly and people probably in my age range because I'm 57. So, but definitely people that are in the 60s and above. But I think I'm hearing more and more that it's also impacting young people as well. Is that true? And is it impacting them across the as much as it is some of our elderly citizens and those with uh, um, what do they call it pre um, predispositions? Yeah. Right. So I'll tell you. Unfortunately, we have. In our country, uh, an infant who has succumbed to COVID virus, we have, unfortunately, lots of people in their 20s um, who have been exposed and have had either serious disease or even died from this. And so, and of course, we've seen it in all age groups. And unfortunately, my dear, you and I, and I'm just a few months behind you, we are actually in the higher risk age group. So... Um, we are seeing it in younger and older people. We were initially thought maybe it's seen, we know it's worse, anything that affects your lungs is worse if you are a smoker or a vapor. So one of the best things you can do is put down your cigarette, put down your vape, like that should be the end of that. Uh, But we are seeing it in really healthy people um, where it affects this person really badly and the next person not so badly. So uh, some of it is degree of exposure. So we're seeing, like, unfortunately, yet another young nurse in his early 20s just passed away from COVID. And that seems to be related to working in the hospital, having so much exposure to the virus. So one of the really good things that happened was that college campuses were closed, and so younger people from 18 to their mid-20s were essentially sent home so that there wasn't this big grouping where they were together, where they could spread the disease um, back and forth. I think, I mean, that was the reason to, that was the reason it should have been to cancel spring break uh, beach vacations. Unfortunately, we're seeing the result of not doing that. Um, We did see a, a choir 60 people in a choir in uh, Washington State, um, and they were just singing, like they were singing, but you know, when you sing, you project your voice, right? A good singer is going to really push with their diaphragm and really project their voice, and unfortunately, 45 of that choir group got COVID. So being in groups is really bad, no matter what your age is. Well, um and I've heard different things about exercise. I've actually, I mentioned it earlier at the beginning of the show that I had gone to exercise and it was in an area that was near a lake and there was not a lot of people around me, but I figure that we do want people to exercise, but of course the virus could be outside. So are we encouraging people to exercise with these stay at home orders or um, should they just be exercising in their house? Like trying to figure out some sort of sit up routine or is, is, is going outside a good thing? during these stay-at-home orders, if you can get outside and do some sort of exercise? 
Yeah, so going outside is absolutely a good thing. The virus does not appear to just, like, hang around in the air. It does stay onto surfaces, like metal surfaces, um, for up to 8 to 10 hours. So if you're in the park and they have, you know, the, the exercise setup that they have in the park where you could do push-ups here and pull-ups there and whatever, crunches somewhere else, um, holding onto those, may put you at some risk, holding those bars. But just going out with yourself or one other person who lives in your home. So this is unfortunately not the time to go running with your neighbor who lives somebody somewhere else. It has to be whoever is in your home. Um, going out for a jog or a walk or a run or a bike ride is really very good. Organized sports are not because, again, you don't want to be congregating at all. Um, up here, they basically closed all the parks because people were not listening to these um, suggestions by the by the police and the mayors. So now they've closed all the parks, so you can't do organized sports. But absolutely, as much fresh air as you can get, it's good for your body and it's good for your soul. And I think we're going to see a lot of anxiety and depression if we just stay cooped up and if we can get out and kind of get our energies back from watching Mother Nature as spring comes, um, that's going to help us a lot. Yeah, but I definitely agree with you that. Um, and I'm just wondering, I want to hear from everybody on this particular conversation and everything, but it seems to me, and I'll start with you, Doctor, but I want to hear from Scott as well, but it seems to me that, speaking of Mother Nature, that I'm of the opinion, and I've said this on this show before, that Mother Nature actually notices what's going on. So I know that there have been reports that the ozone layer and certain other things, because we're all staying at home, and there's less cars and less trucks and less everything else out there, that the ozone layer is clearing up, the ocean is starting to clear up because of less cruise ships out in the ocean and everything. So, I mean, in some ways, I mean, you hate to put it in this kind of terms, but it does seem like Mother Nature is getting at least a little bit of a uh, rebirth into some senses. I've even noticed when I went outside on that walk and everything that even some of the birds seem to be flying at a little bit lower level because usually they'd be flying higher trying to avoid the humans, but they figured there are not that many humans on the ground, so we can fly at a lower level. So uh, I, I love what you're saying. I, you know, there, I, I don't know as a scientist about Mother Nature, but I know what I believe as a person. And I'll tell you, she is reclaiming her authority. Because if you look at those satellite pictures initially over China, they cleared up like nobody's business. It was a dark brown cloud over all of China. Then China shut down because this happened, you know, in January. And the skies were clear. It, you can breathe in Manhattan like I have not breathed in 50-something years in Manhattan. Um, That's great. India reported that the river That's that goes good. by the Taj Mahal is clear and flowing and beautiful for the first time in decades. Like the air, the trees, the water, everything is cleaning up. And part of it is we are being forced to be respectful, I think. But I'd love to hear from Scott. Yeah. Scott, have you noticed any changes? Well, you know, I haven't been outside that much, but I love what the doctors just said, and I'm going to pay closer attention. Uh, you know, it's funny. I remember right after 9-11, you, you know, you'd go outside and you wouldn't hear uh, airplanes, you know, for like two or three days. There were no planes in the sky. And it just seemed quieter and more peaceful. And I do 
have a sense when I'm outside that things are a little bit more peaceful. Uh, but I'll have to pay closer attention to, you know, to, uh, to mother nature when I, when I go for my walk tomorrow. Yeah, you should definitely do that. Kenyana, have you noticed any yeah. changes in Lenore? And also, have you, um, are the young people in Lenore paying attention to the whole what's going on with COVID and everything? Because like she said, it is impacting young people, but a lot, there was rumors there for a while that it wasn't impacting young people as much. So are your peers paying attention? Um, I mean, some of them, yeah, I still see some out because, like, I'm out, but I wear my mask. I have my hand sanitizer. I have everything on me. But I feel like there has been no violence. I haven't heard of no violence, no shootings. You know, in Charlotte, I haven't heard anything. So this is kind of good, I guess because it's putting people in the house and everybody's scared and you ain't heard no violence or anything. She may have a point there, Doctor. Because I'm thinking that probably even balance has gone... I'm thinking the balance has even gone down in New York. And New York definitely had a high crime rate, but I'm imagining it's probably... Yeah, that Saturday night, Saturday night, Knife and Gun Club is closed. Let me tell you. (laughs) I mean, I spent my whole career patching people up on the weekends and yeah, something, you know, I don't know what has happened, but I think you're right. I think you're right. People are afraid. People are indoors. People are not, you know, out and about and drinking too much and making stupid decisions, whatever. But um, in the surge of the corona cases in the hospitals, we've seen a lack of the normal cases that come to the hospitals, thank heavens, because we can focus on getting the corona patients better and getting back to real life, and maybe the ones who used to be shooting people will stop shooting people. That would be kind of awesome. That would be worth a couple right. of months of uh, rest, right? Yeah, if we could have that happen, that would be a wonderful thing, if we can have that change in people's attitudes, and uh, maybe this is what is going to take it to have those kind of changes in folks' attitudes and just the way that they are handling things. What other advice would you give people? See, um, Kenyana mentioned the hand sanitizers. My uh, dad actually made some homemade hand sanitizer uh, that he's uh, supplied to family members and things of that nature, But uh, and it's very effective. It uses uh, the alcohol and some of the other things. And, of course, I've got the regular hand sanitizer. But what are some of the um, – how effective is hand sanitizing, and what are some of the other things in addition to washing your hands that you are recommending people? And also, when you say wash your hands, some people I know have gone to the point of thinking of it almost as compulsive uh, – obsessive behavior like they want to wash their hands like seven times an hour and i think that that might be called a little bit overboard but is that a, should you be doing it seven times an hour like what is what would be considered the norms for washing your hands so um i think uh hand sanitizer is really effective particularly if you can't get to um a sink with hot running water and soap um the hand sanitizer should have at least 65 percent alcohol 70% alcohol, but think about that, how drying that is on your skin, right? So you want to use it correctly but judiciously. Washing your hands all the time, unless you happen to be a doctor or a nurse in a hospital, you should not be washing that frequently, but you should be washing your hands thoroughly, 20 seconds, hot running water, So um, every time you come into the house, leave your shoes at the door, immediately take off your outer garments, and then go wash your hands real well before you touch anything else. Once you're done on your computer or on your phone, if you've picked up the mail, whatever, 
come back in, wash your hands. If you've gone grocery shopping, unload the groceries, wash your hands. So it's after you've done something that could potentially have put virus on your hands, go ahead and wash your hands. The reason people are talking about masks is because we, we tend to touch our faces. If you touch your hand that has virus on it to your eyes, your nose, or your mouth, those are normal entrance pathways for the virus to get in. So wearing a mask, wearing glasses, and washing your hands limits the ability for you to spread the virus to yourself from a surface that you've just touched. And um, how important is it for everybody to keep their houses immaculate? I'm not going to lie, my house is not immaculate. So how important <laughs> is it for us to keep our houses immaculate and things of that nature? Because I'm not going to lie, my house is not immaculate. <laughs> oh, I, and I am so glad that this is audio only. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, you don't have to be immaculate, but you can't be pig pen, right? So you want to keep your house clean, which means you really – so if the virus will live on your shoes, for example, right? So take your darn shoes off at the front door. Just take them off, put them in the closet, put them wherever you put dirty shoes, and then walk around with your socks on or your house shoes on, wash your hands, um, rub, you know, clean the surfaces. So you really should be cleaning your kitchen, you know, after every meal that you eat there. Not deep cleaning, but you should be wiping off the surfaces with a bleach-containing cleaner. Same thing with the bathroom. Maybe you should clean your bathroom, you know, every couple of days. Give it a nice wipe off of all the surfaces, with again, with a bleach-containing cleaner. If you're sick, so you were talking about your friends who had fevers and chills maybe or had a cough and thought they were sick, Those, if you're using the bathroom after that person, that's a real big area for cross-contamination. So they should either have their own bathroom in the house. If you don't have that, they actually have to sanitize the bathroom after every time that they use it because that's an area where that has a lot of hard surfaces where the virus will live on. And I'm really glad to hear that younger people are, for the most part, taking it seriously because I was having the same conversation with my son uh, who's home. Everyone's home now because the college is all, you know, let out. And he was having a big discussion on Zoom or something with his friends, you know, half of whom didn't understand why they had to take care of themselves like this. And the reason is, you could get sick and you could get someone else sick, and that someone else could be your mom or your dad or your grandma. And I think that's really important for young people to know that it's not a huge sacrifice to make, but it's worthwhile to keep your distance, not congregate, wear a mask, wash your hands. Definitely. Well, I appreciate all this great advice that you've been giving us on this particular show uh uh, doctor and everything, so I definitely appreciate you being on the show, and I appreciate Scott being on the show as well as Kenyana. Before I get everybody off the show, I'm hoping that everybody can, because uh, we always close out with giving advice or positive thoughts that they want to share and things of that nature, because I do believe in the positive thought kind of philosophy, particularly in this day and time that we're living in and everything. So I think I'll start with the youngest this time. So Kenyana, is there any thoughts that you would like to share with people of a positive nature uh, that you want to share with the audience at large just in terms of both life in general or just uh, what you've got going on and also if there's a website about where they can hear your music or hear about what you're doing, share that as well. 
Um, yes. Um, I just feel like everybody should stay in, you know, be safe, be sanitized, make sure you're doing everything you need to do and keep on praying, you know. Pray, read that Bible, pray before you go to sleep, pray when you wake up. Just keep on doing what you gotta do to make yourself feel better. And yes, um you could actually reach me on my email where you can see stuff. Um that's Kenyana superstar at iCloud.com. That's my email. And that's where anyone, if they want to contact me or anything, that's where you can reach me. And, yes, just stay in. Be safe. <laughs> Sounds great. Appreciate you, Kenyana. And, uh, Scott, what's the advice you got to give folks? Definitely tell people how they can uh, get night visions. And I've definitely got some more cuts. Uh, did not get to the other one this time, but I promise you I will play it on that's an okay, upcoming man. edition right. of the show. But uh, definitely uh, any advice that you want to share with people just about life in general, about what we're going through just in general, whatever you want to share, this is your time. And also tell folks how they can get uh, Night Visions, uh, the um, CD, and uh, how they can hear your music um, and where it's available at. Well, first I want to thank the doctor for uh, all the great information. It was very uh, helpful. you can keep up with me. Uh, you can go to scottsawyer.net. That's scottsawyer.net, and uh, there's information about how you can get a copy of Night Visions or a download. Uh, and I would just uh, urge everybody, you know, not only to um, to take care when they go outside, to be careful, uh, to stay safe, but I would also encourage people uh, because um, – I, I do think there's a, I do think there's a danger of, of more and more people becoming depressed or feeling isolated. Uh, you know, pick up the phone, and call a friend, and um, or maybe those of us who who aren't alone. Uh, you know, th- you know, think about people that you love, uh, other than you know immediate family members, and give them a call to see how they're doing. I can tell you that I've received a number of text messages from some of my from some of my current and former students asking me are you okay how are you and it uh it makes me feel better uh you know i don't think we're meant to be isolated uh the human condition is not about hiding hiding in your home afraid to go out so so reach out to people who you care about uh because uh it's going to be a, a while before before things return back to normal. I just want everybody to be safe and to be well. I agree with you, Scott. Appreciate that. Doctor, what are your last thoughts and everything that you want to share with people? And I do appreciate you being on the show. I keep, tell, I keep telling Tree that I'm kidnapping his entire audience and his entire guest list. So I'm just keep, I'm just keeping doing that. But you've definitely been part of that, as was, as was Libby, as was Sonny, and a number of others. So y'all have definitely added some light into our show in addition to people that I've known for years like Scott. Well, thank you. And I, and I really appreciate what, uh, what both of them said. I think, um, you know, take this time. We've been given this time. So it's a time to reflect on how beautiful nature is, how beautiful music is, what beautiful friendships and relationships we've cultivated over time. Um, like Scott said, pick up the phone, pick up the text, FaceTime somebody, uh, you know, if you happen to be going to the grocery store, 
make sure the elderly person down the block doesn't need something or does need something and get it for them. Um, I think this is a, a really beautiful time to find our humanity again. And I, and I really hope that feeling of brotherly love stays with us um, past this time. I agree. I'm definitely hoping that we have more and more of this brotherly love, and I have seen more of that during this time, and I'm hoping that we do maintain it because it's definitely something that is needed in this day and time. Uh, Dean, what's your thoughts? Peace and harmony is the prevailing God in all things, and when we continue to do that, things will get better. You know what I mean? So it's a great conversation tonight. Appreciate all of our guests that are, came and joined us for this episode and it's straight talk with Dean and Mark y'all Monday night 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time make sure that you uh, catch us during that time or except for like next week is the holiday so we'll have a replay on but tomorrow night well tomorrow afternoon really 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Skyhawk Radio Network will be our replay. And then, if you miss those, we have replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and right here, at Blog Talk Radio. Now, don't forget, on Wednesday, April 8th at 4 p.m., we have the Chef Gang Podcast. They're doing episode three, talking about the She-Chef. Chef Henry Dudley and Chef Kimberly Van Kleiner are going to explore the experience of black female chefs. All right? So make sure you check in for that. And pretty soon, we're working on getting the Let's Talk About It radio show syndicated from WBKS1 out of Plainfield, New Jersey. Shout out to Black Ops, Wonder, and Miss E, who I also sit on that panel with. But like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime in the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching a rehearsal. With that being said, it's Six Man Dean Geronimo. Have an outstanding week. Stay safe. Keep washing your hands. Wear those masks. Don't let people run up on you. Give them that little distance. And um, we're going to see y'all in 14 days. <laughs> see you in 14 days, and we've actually got another amazing guest, Ron Thomas, another one of Tree's regulars, who is an international businessman who spends a lot of time in Dubai. He'll be joining us as well as some entertainers and some educators from around the world. Matter of fact, one of the educators should be calling us from London, as well as one out of the New York area. And then we've got some entertainers that are from around this area. I believe one is in Rocky Mountain, and I believe there's some others that are coming from other parts of the uh, Americas as well. So definitely it should be another lively discussion, still in the process of putting it together. But I have heard from at least three or four of those guests who have already told me that they are excited about joining us on the 20th as we continue some more of these dynamic conversations. As I always say in parting and in uh, talking about the guests that we've had and the amazing folks that we have on this show, they are always welcome back. So uh, definitely, you know, uh, the doctor is always welcome to come back and talk to us as well. We've had Lippy come a couple of times, and actually Lippy is now an NBC correspondent. So I don't know that we'll be getting her anytime soon because she's got uh, contractual obligations and things of that nature. But there's some other amazing doctors that she will keep us informed about 
as well as others. So definitely uh, we're going to keep things going in terms of keeping you informed on the medical front of what's going on as well as the social front of what's going on as well. So definitely do know that Scott Sawyer, the doctor, as well as Kenyatta are all invited to come back on anytime that they feel like it because we are always glad to hear from the guests that we've had in the past when they are able to make a return trip. So definitely looking forward to having them back on upcoming editions of the show. But in the meantime, as we always say, stay out there, stay safe, stay uh, well, and we look forward to seeing you in about 14 days the way that Dean says. Until that time, peace and stay safe.